Hello and welcome to Now Here's a Thing, the latest laid-back podcast crafted by me, Tracy Jones, and me, Heather Noble. (laughs) Nothing to say. Well, we've just been talking non-stop because it's a couple of weeks since we... Is it three weeks since we've seen each other? It is, yeah. yeah. We recorded two we recorded episodes two, yeah. back to back and then yeah. missed a week, yeah. Well, we've been off on our travels, haven't we? Yeah. And we, we've caught up, I pressed record and we suddenly stopped talking. Now, here's the thing. Travelling, you've been to France. Yes. I've been to Spain and Portugal. And as a result of that, my husband's been learning Spanish on Duolingo. Okay, which is quite annoying <laughs> when the, it's the ding. It is. You does, Can't it just put that on silent? It's, yes. But then he, you meant to speak back, aren't you? Yes. Anyway, have you used Duolingo? I have. I've, I've um, attempted to learn Norwegian and to brush up on my French with Duolingo. But it's a little frustrating because before my trip to France, but it was teaching me things where I'm like, I don't think I'm going to use that in a conversation on holiday. <laughs> what did Stuart have the other day? Do you really want that jacket? <laughs> it's not the first thing, is it? No. And, you know, sort of, I would like a pano chocolate. Yeah, yeah. I, can I have the bill, please? You know, yes, the simple things some, like that. But Yeah, uh, some basic things. Uh, just share this one with you, though. Me and my friend... We're both um, French speakers from school. So we learnt our French in school. We both have travelled to France since then, but but quite rusty. What we quickly realised is that we sound like blue stockings because our French is a bit old-fashioned. Yeah, well, it will. I suppose it will be. It's it's really dated, some of the phrases and the way that we say certain things. And my kids pick me up on it. Oh, no, really? even just uh, what you know. What what's your name? Yeah, we we we're phrasing it like old people. Really, it was terrifying to realise that both of us sounded yeah. like old women when we speak French and probably English and whatever language. Yeah, well, I, that's well, I guess that's the thing, isn't it? Because you know, in English, some of the language that is used these days, you're kind of like, what? What's you know? Never mind that. Well, sick. You know, I mean, obviously that we've moved on from that, but. Um, did you find that you understood more than you could speak? Oh, absolutely, always. Yeah, yeah. I, I understand more if it's written down. Oh, okay. So I'm, I'm, I can read French quite well Yeah. because I've got time. I can actually say something and sound quite French, Yeah. but not so good at the answer from them. So I can I can understand as long as it's not like in conversation, so announcements and things like that. Yeah. But, yeah, m- maybe no. So my my original answer, I retract. No, I can say more than I can understand. <laughs> right. So Stuart's been learning Spanish, and I found the other day we'd been... We were in London. We were staying in a hotel. He was doing his Duolingo. And, um, and I was understanding some of the Spanish because... Some of it is quite similar. It's very similar yeah. to French. Yeah. Um, I did French at school. Do you school. speak French? Um, I, again. Oh, you did I, French at school. You've got old lady French. I've got old lady French. Yeah. 
Um, I have been to France a few times in my adult life, although not for 20 odd years. Um, but I did find that quite quickly, I mean, I wasn't brilliant at it at school, but quite quickly, once you're living in that culture, stuff would just come back out of your mind. So people would yeah. say stuff and I would understand it, but then I'd struggle to retrieve the words to respond. So I'm better at the yeah. incoming than I am at, at the outgoing. When I've done a day trip to France before, that was a real struggle. So I, I did the Eurostar to Lille a couple of times. And it wasn't long enough to get my ear in. Yeah. And I felt that my biggest issue then was remembering vocabulary. Yes. But yeah. I agree. Once I got into uh, Paris and, and spent a day there, a lot of the vocabulary came back quite quickly. But I, I still was a bit flummoxed when my friend's daughter, who's celiac, and my friend went to ask the owner of this place that advertised gluten-free food a complicated question. And he started to answer in French. I was like, oh, I'm backing off here. Yeah. No, I don't know what. My, my friend did terribly well. And she understood most of what he said. Which is good. Yeah. When your daughter's celiac. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and maybe she's done a little bit of research to make sure that she... But me, it was just like, oh. Oh, my eyes were crossed. Oh no! <laughs> I think again, the big thing about communication is that if somebody, if somebody just approaches you and says something, and you've got no context, that's harder. Yeah. But you know, if you are checking into a hotel for argument's sake, there's a limit to what the conversation is going to be. Yeah. So it kind, you kind of, you know, we're probably not going to be talking about elephants in a zoo. You know, we're going to be talking about the checking in process. So yeah. I think that makes it easier. But, but. The reason I mention that is because I started looking at... Um, when, so when I said to Stuart, oh, well, I, I can understand a lot of that. If I don't have any Spanish at all. Um, he said, oh, it's because it's a Latin language. Okay. So at the beginning of the year, I did have a very brief attempt at learning Mandarin because I have a sister-in-law who speaks Mandarin Chinese and my niece speaks it. Um, did you use Duolingo for that? I was using Duolingo. But the challenge is, and I remember when I tried to learn Korean once upon a time, you've got to learn a whole new alphabet. Yeah. And when I went to Japan, the signs are difficult because you, 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 it's a totally different alphabet. You can't, so you even, can't begin. even intuit something. No, because, because it's a bit like something. Exactly, exactly. So I thought I'd do a little bit of research into um, the learning of languages. Okay. Um, so apparently Spanish is the second most commonly spoken language after Mandarin. Um, and if you can speak in Spanish, you will then be able to speak, um, communicate more effectively in Spain, Latin America, Mexico, Peru, Paraguay, Ecuador, and even the United States, where an estimated 37.6 million people speak it as their first language. Um, also... The world's second largest economy and an Hispanic population protected to double by 2050 makes Spanish enormously important. But it says, difficulty to learn, it says, language experts rank Spanish as one of the easiest languages to learn for English speakers. Then they go on to German. Um, and German um, has the highest GDP in Europe. And lots of people are going there to seek new careers. Um, if you know how to speak German, that will get the highest financial reward rather than speaking Spanish or French. 
um, and about 700,000 people in the United States, sorry, about 700,000 jobs in the United States are for German companies. Then we go down the list to Arabic, then we get to Mandarin, a billion people speak Mandarin Chinese, then Portuguese, uh, then Russian. Uh, I learned Russian at school. Did you? I did a Russian O-level. You still got any Russian? No, it's completely gone. But uh, Do you think it would come back if you... No, no, um, it's, it's a bit of a struggle. So I did know a new alphabet, and I do remember Russian being very easy language to learn once you got the alphabet. Right, Because okay. it, it just abided by the rules. They had rules, you stuck to the rules. So as long as you learned the alphabet, it was phonetic, yeah. and it stuck to the rules, which is definitely not what English is. So Russian was actually quite straightforward. My mind boggles now because I don't have a clue. I don't remember any of it. But I, I, to get my O-level, I had to do a 20-minute oral exam. So clearly I could speak for 20 minutes uh, yeah. and have a conversation, but not a clue now. Okay. Well, apparently it's one of the most challenging languages to learn. Oh, I thought it was quite straightforward, but there we go. <laughs> well, yeah. I struggle to learn German and I've tried three times to learn German and I can't do it. I tried German at school because... Because French had only got the male and female, but German has got... Daddy does. Daddy da, and that, I, I just couldn't get my head around it. Um, and I think maybe I'm just not very good at learn, like, learning, learning language or <laughs> speaking, <laughs> am I? <laughs> Anywho, so that said, I thought, right, okay, so what is the hardest language to speak? Okay. So the hardest language is, um, if you're an English speaker trying to learn Mandarin, that's particularly challenging, as is Icelandic. Japanese, Hungarian, Finnish, Arabic, and Polish. But if you know Spanish, it is easier to learn Japanese. Really? Yeah. It says um, it says outside of the um, outside of the set of Romance languages, and in terms of sounds, contrary to popular belief, there is a language that would be easier for a Spanish speaker to learn: Japanese. Because Japanese boasts some very basic sounds that are also very similar to those of Spanish. Okay. I remember learning to speak, trying to learn to speak Korean. Again, very briefly, I was working for a Korean company. You have to speak right at the front of your mouth. And then my sister-in-law, when I was saying, oh, I want to try and I'm having a go at learning Chinese. She, she then said, well, can, so she said these different sounds to me. And she said, can you tell the difference? I said, no, I can't. <laughs> and it was all about how you shaped your mouth. It, yeah, it, it, was, it was, I can't even do it. But, you know, it was like, it's like, you know, and it's kind of like, I, they were so subtle, so subtle that I think. So did she say I'll just give up then? No, she, I mean, she was very supportive. She said that my five-year-old niece could perhaps teach me. Good. But. Yeah, don't hold. I don't hold out much hope. Okay, so we shan't be doing a podcast in Mandarin anytime. Not soon. anytime soon. No, no. Good. So there we'll you go. Stick with English, shall we? Yeah, we'll stick with well, stick with whatever it gibberish. is. Gibberish. Gibberish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nonsense. Okay. Good. Well, I'm glad you had a nice holiday. I did too. Now, here's the thing. I was in a call with a company who was selling their financial wellbeing services. Okay. I'll give a shout out to them because I thought they presented really well on the call and that's octopus money. Oh yeah, okay. And they really thought this offering through 
well presented. Is this for staff? For, yeah, companies to, to get for their, for their employees. employees. Yeah. Because there's a real move towards uh, companies looking at financial well-being. A lot of focus has been on physical well-being. Um, we're now quite aware of mental well-being. Quite a lot of companies are working on that. Social well-being has always been important. I'm not sure it's ever been given a, you know, a, a strategy. Yeah, but yeah. companies clearly um, need to to look after that side of it. You know, in terms of a sense of community and belonging with the group. And financial well-being is another element or pillar of well-being. Mm-hmm. And, and companies are, are sort of catching up with that, but financial well-being, I think, is just lagging behind a little bit. Particularly because there's a lot of information out there and you might believe that, well, just making this information available mm-hmm. is ticking the box for looking after your employees' financial well-being. However, in this presentation, they sort of gave words to a sense that I had that just providing a load of information isn't going to work. So I've had a, an aim to work on financial well-being for a couple of years at work and I've been sort of doing uh, awareness sessions and putting products in place and and benefits in place to help people and still constantly surprised by either the lack of take-up or people asking me questions that I actually actually told them quite recently but they hadn't taken in because perhaps it wasn't relevant to them at the time so it was like okay this is this is something I'm going to have to keep repeating. Some of the lack of take-up thing, though, might be embarrassment, mightn't it? Well, here's the thing, Heather. Did you know that people are seven times more likely to tell a stranger how many sexual partners they've had, whether they've had an affair, and whether they've ever had an STD than to talk about money? Well, there we go. There we go. Exactly. We're barking up the wrong tree. Run a clinic where you can come in and talk about how many sexual partners you've had. And then, by the way, just as an afterthought, you're all right with money. And they go, oh, no, 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 money's fine. <laughs> but this STD I've had. Yeah. Could you just look at it? Could I have a bit of cream? How strange. Isn't that? But, but it's that sort very... of confirms the issue. So that was on one of the slides. So thank you very much, Octopus Money, for that research. It did come from, it was, um, it was referenced yeah. to a source. Uh, 66% of employees don't think their company cares about their personal finances. Okay. Whereas 58% of HR leaders believe they create an atmosphere where employees feel comfortable discussing financial concerns. Okay, there's a mismatch there, isn't there? Yeah. 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 One, my husband works for a company that, um, that is part of a group called Financial Wellness Group. And they have won a government contract to support to give support to people um, around their finance around their finances and financial well-being but i think sometimes the challenge is we we've got people who are are there to to mop up when things have gone wrong yeah but it's the how do you get people before things go now, wrong this is this is what appealed to me about what they presented to me because it was that. It wasn't... Because I, I would have switched off if they'd said, oh, our approach is we've got this portal and there's all these discounts and there's this, that, the other. Because one of the things that they said on here is 
most people aren't self-directed about money. Money. And that's true. Mm. I've made all this stuff available mm. for my workplace and the take-up is really quite low, mm. even when you've pointed out to them that the whole, you know, how much you can save. So what they said they focus on is what people's goals are. What are they individually wanting to achieve, whether it's to have IVF treatment or to buy a house or retire early. So what you do is you actually, rather than just say, oh, you can save money, which has got, yeah, it, yeah it's yeah. not tangible. They put it into something that people can really aspire to. And then they work out a plan and then some action steps for you to do that. I really quite like that. It's actually making people see the value of those small actions. You know, well, it's, it's the whole begin with the end in mind, isn't yeah. it, I suppose? Find Actually, what's with any other action yeah. plan, wouldn't yeah. you? What is it you're aiming for? Right now, we get there. Whereas if what you do is you present people with a load of steps to get somewhere, yeah. but with no aim, yeah. that's presumably why they're not that interested in going up the steps, because mm. that's a bit of an effort, isn't it? Mm. Now, so if I save an extra £10 a month in my pension, yeah, whatever. But if you show them that on a graph, yeah. an interactive graph... yeah. Um, and they say, oh, actually, that means this will add this much to your pension. Suddenly, it means something yes. to them. And so whether I use that service or not, I just like their their approach, which is actually, you know, it's not just about just laying out all this information and going, then go on, help yourself, <laughs> make yourself rich. So actually, what what is it that you want to achieve? And then it's very personal, isn't it? It's not, yeah. it's not general, it's very specific. Yeah. And and also very one to one. Yes. So, you're not so if people, people are more happy to talk about their affairs and their sexually transmitted diseases, you really don't want a, a group workshop, do you? <laughs> to talk about money or sexually transmitted diseases. I'm to not be sure honest, in the workplace that that's no. And how many affairs in the workplace have you had? Which is very topical at the moment, isn't it? But so um, yeah. so people are more willing to to admit to that than seven times more willing to. Talk about that. The money. So I think the idea that you have to have this one-to-one conversation and personalised plans really rings, you know, sort of chimes with me. It's like, okay, I get that. I personally would not be prepared to discuss my sex life more than I would money. But the Brits have, have got this whole thing where they don't discuss salaries, do they? We no, know, it's no. It's not what we Well, do. in other cultures, you don't ask people how old they are, for example. Yeah. But you might ask them how much they earn. Yeah. You know, whereas here, I don't think we really mind being asked how old we are. So that also then led me on to, okay, so I, I've got a financial well-being strategy as part of my whole well-being strategy. But what is it? <laughs> What's the definition of this? So the Money and Pensions Service defines financial well-being as feeling secure and in control of your finances, both now and in the future. It's knowing that you can pay the bills today, can deal with the unexpected and are on track for a healthy financial future. That's quite scary. I wonder how many people feel well with that because it really impacts on the, on your health. So um, there's a website um, for health carers. It's on, it's on a gov.uk website and it's a it's a report in there. So this is healthcare professionals. And it's talking about the link between poverty and financial well-being and health. 
And there's, they were just underlining the fact that there's a lot of evidence to show that money and health are intertwined, mm-hmm. which is why I think it's important for companies because money and health and safety. Yes. Yeah. You know, that, that's yeah, all linked, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So if your employees are stressed about money or, you know, just yeah. feeling out of control, that's going to impact on their physical and their mental health. Yeah in the workplace as well so you can see why it's important Mm. for companies and that list that you've just said so some people might be able to pay the bills at the moment but i can't remember the three things it was pay the bills at the moment yeah be in control of their finances deal with the unexpected deal with the unexpected yeah so you might be able to pay the bills at the moment and you might have a little bit of money in the bank and you might your pension might be okay but can you deal with the unexpected yeah so you know how many people have all three bases covered um, that you know that will be the interesting thing, won't it? Uh, just looking at some research here, um, in twenty 2020 twenty to twenty twenty one, nine point five million people were living in poverty in the UK. And if you live in a deprived area, you can expect to live on average for allow- around eight years less mm. than someone in an affluent area. And the chances mm. of acquiring a health condition earlier in life and therefore having to live with that condition for longer also increases. So this report continues by saying that the research indicates that money impacts on our well-being in four ways. Material, so money buys goods and services that can improve health. The more money people have, the better the goods they can buy. So the better food and um, physical activities that you can partake in. For themselves and for their children. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Psychosocial. So managing on low income is stressful. So you, you can be, um, that can lead to biological changes in the body, which then can lead to ill health. Behavioural. So you could adopt unhealthy behaviours, which then exacerbate the problem because smoking and drinking, yeah. actually, it costs you money and it costs yeah. you health. Yeah. And then reverse causation. So poor health leads to low income. Yeah. Low yeah. income leads to poor health. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's quite sobering reading, and that was written for healthcare professionals. You know, yeah. financial well-being is an important consideration when you're looking after somebody's health. And then, if you look at like from an employer perspective, CIPD, I got a little article on employee financial well-being, and uh, it says while employers are becoming aware and recognizing that financial well-being is more than just paying employees and providing a few benefits, it is still the least common area included in HR wellbeing strategies. Wow. And so they then talk about five steps for um, developing an employing financial strategy. So it's quite comprehensive mm-hmm. and, and I can see it's really needed. The focus really has been on mental health, hasn't it? But all of these things, physical, mental, social, financial... They're, They're all, all so totally linked, absolutely, aren't they? absolutely. And I think you know when I'm delivering training on on um, first aid for mental health, you do get into this you know the pattern that every everything is connected. If you're physically unwell, if you're mentally unwell, if you're financially on um, you know struggling financially, if your relationship's gone wrong, if you're homeless, if you're in fear of being homeless, in fear of losing your job, any one of those things has the ability to impact on any one of the others and yeah. multiple. Absolutely. Oh, fair play to Octopus. So, um, so yeah. you're quite impressed with them, yeah? I was. Now I just have to make a business case to uh, to take that forward. 
but there's always lots of other things that you could spend mm. your money on. So mm. I might just take a little while to sit back and make sure that my financial wellbeing strategy makes sense. Yeah. Really. But... And of course, people will, you know, the finance team will be talking about return on investment. And, it, you know, um, you know, that's one of those things that everybody's like, what's the return on investment? Well, you'll almost never know because if you don't do it, you won't know where you would be. No. And if you do do it, you don't know where you would have been. No, exactly. So it, it is really difficult. It's one of those things where you feel, if it feels like the right thing to do, it's the right Morally thing to re- do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And in terms of retention of staff and attraction of staff, you know, maybe that's, you know, it's not necessarily more widgets being produced every day. But if you're retaining and that's people... that's the issue in, in yeah, the labour market at, at the, the moment. moment yeah, yeah. yeah. A reason to stay, a reason to come. Yeah. yeah, and there's loads of companies out there, loads of apps out there with platforms with, you know, you've got well-being um, videos on all these platforms. You've got vouchers, you've got discount cards, you've got so many things available. And I think, like I said, what for me was to have a reason to use those things. Why yeah. would I bother saving myself a few quid there and a few quid there? If I can't see the impact of, mm. of or it can't anticipate yeah, the impact. Yeah, each one of those be. single little savings, you know, I say, oh, if I save 5% on my weekly shop, yeah, it doesn't feel like much. Yeah. But somehow if you can find a way to see the bigger picture of it and, and the impact of that over a number of years, that's what I'm hoping it would do. Yeah. I, some of that is probably a throwback to, do you remember the days when people used to buy things in catalogues all the time? You yeah. know, catalogue culture was massive, wasn't it? So you could have this thing and it would only cost you a pound a week. Yeah. And you'd be like, oh, well, I, c- I can manage a pound a week. It might be a pound a week for, you know, two years. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, you, I can manage a pound a week. So so on one hand, breaking things down into smaller chunks, then people go, oh, it's only a quid. Yeah. But actually, if it's a quid every week for two yeah, years. Yeah, it's the reverse happening. Yes. There, isn't it? so yeah. Yeah. It's only a quid. What difference what's the is point? it going to make? Yeah. 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 There we go watch this space keep us updated but yeah it... i will do if everybody starts talking about their stds at work <laughs> then i've made a big mistake now here's the thing is a jones and noble production brought to you every week well maybe not every week ever <laughs> recorded with an iphone a microphone and lots of hot air